Hello, producer Ben here. I don't normally cut into the show, but I thought I'd give you a quick heads up. Uh, one of our guests today, Lottie Cook, she joined us from a coffee shop, so there is quite a lot of background noise. You can still hear her just fine, but I thought I'd give you an explanation. Anyway, on with the show. Welcome to From What If to What Next, that place in your listening life where you know your imagination will be loved, cherished and fed delicious grapes while it reclines on a very comfortable chaise lounge. We do this every two weeks and we love your feedback. So wherever you're listening to this, do tell us what you think, what you like and what we could do better. We welcome it all. And while we're on the subject of helping us do better, do take a moment to consider becoming one of our beautiful patrons over at patreon.com slash from what if to what next. They're really what enables us to do this. And for just £3 a month, they get these podcasts the day they're released, plus our magical and delightful Ministry of Imagination bonus episodes and more besides. Do think about it. It really helps. Today we're talking about education. What if we had an education system that was actually fit for today? that was fit for a world finally beginning to acknowledge the systemic racism, patriarchy and economic exclusion that has been so many people's experience for far too long, that was fit for a world up to its neck in a climate and ecological emergency, that was fit for a world where attention spans and critical thinking are at an all-time low. What would such a system look like? We certainly know what it wouldn't look like because you just have to visit a school near you to find out how the system in 2021 is profoundly failing our young people. What we need is an education system that means that young people leave school understanding the world they're emerging into and ready to roll out their sleeves and address it. So today, rather than having some adults having a discussion about what the education system should look like, we're going to ask two brilliant young people who've been giving this a lot of thought. Our question, therefore, for today's episode is what if young people reimagined the school system? Both our guests today are connected to Pupil Power, an amazing movement that's burst forth in these months of COVID and lockdown and which describes itself as a student-led movement aiming to educate and engage young people on educational policy that affects them and their experience of school. Yumna Hussein is, describes herself as a multi-hyphenate growth enthusiast, which I must get you to explain to me afterwards, as well as being a student advocate and campaigner, elected as youth MP for Birmingham and chair of Birmingham Youth Council. She also works very closely with Bite Back 2030, which is a youth-led organisation putting children's health first by building a fairer food system. Her fight for an inclusive healthcare system has led her to facilitate numerous sessions with professionals to highlight health healthcare inequalities and speak at national health conferences. A recent TEDx speaker, Reimagining Education to Create an Impact in the World, which I really, really recommend you'll find it on YouTube. Yumna works with organisations focused on transforming the education system into one that is equitable, inclusive, 
decolonized and centers the views of learners. An avid writer, spoken word poet and public speaker. She's also the author of a fiction book, Struggles of War. And among all of that, has we're delighted to say, found the time uh, to come and join us too. And Lottie Cook is an 18-year-old student activist and writer, centering their work around improving our education system and furthering the rights of women and those of marginalised genders. Lottie's work works with many organisations, such as the Pupil Power, NCS and the Hashtag I Will campaign, where she uses her journalistic capabilities to inspire and provoke Action. She's written for the likes of Toynbee Hall, Innovate Journal, Comics Youth, and is soon to be featured in Diverse Educators and Manifesto. Wow, welcome both to From What If to What Next. Lovely to have you here. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. Yes, thank you so much for having me as well. So we're going to start this episode, as we do every episode, with our time travel exercise. And I'd like to invite you both and everyone at home to imagine that thanks to my amazing time machine I built during lockdown, you are now travelling forward through time. Forward from here, travelling through year after year, 25, 26, 27, 28, until you arrive into 2030. It's not perfect, it's not paradise, but it is the result of those nine years having been a revolution of the imagination, a time of really incredible change. And the 2030 that you emerge as you step out of my time machine is one where the education system has been profoundly transformed. Pupil power and the other work you were doing in 2021 really caught a wave, the right idea at the right moment, and it grew and it grew and it built and it built. And now in 2030, it's underpinned the new education system that we have today. Could you walk us around it? What's it like? Can you bring it alive for us? What does it look like and taste like and feel like? How can you describe that future uh, to us, Uh, uh, Yumna? Thank you so much. I can hear the laughter of my peers. I'm engaging in rich, intellectual, meaningful conversations with my friends at school. But we don't feel ashamed to say what we think, but at the same time, we're respecting each other's boundaries. In the distance, for example, I, 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 there's a group of my peers sitting round by a table and I can hear the rustling of the leaves and I can hear the wonderful and elaborate stories being told. I feel confident, I feel empowered, and I feel satisfied with how my life is going. School doesn't seem a chore. School is rather a collection of experiences where I'm authentic um, and I don't feel a sense of external pressure to believe in certain things and I can just do me. School's flexible, it's adaptable. The products that I'm working on are interdisciplinary and multifaceted in so many ways. We're sitting around a table, we've got coloured pens out and we are sketching out a project plan and we're talking and we're engaging. And teachers are not just teachers, they're facilitators and they're guiders of learning. And that's what I really love about school. And I'm being limitless in my thinking and bold in my decision-making because now in the curriculum, young people are able to co-create solutions our ideas are directly embedded within policymaking because our lived experiences are valued. At lunch, I take a walk outside the school. The physical landscape is far different. There's so much more place for pedestrians and cyclists. There's little cars on the road. There's fresh, clean air to breathe, just to just breathe in. There's an open public space that's nearby my school, 
as a buzz of energy. It's vibrant. It's home to so much practical resources and physical spaces for making, cooking, learning, growing food, which is regenerated by design and it's vibrant. It's a hub of activity. And I don't feel like I'm just a student. I'm a lifelong learner. And that is what really inspires me in my work. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Yumna Lottie. So I imagine waking up to go to school with, you know, no stress, no worry. I just feel so relaxed because the weight of being a young person in education, balancing like my social life, what I want to do with my friends, plus school, plus everything else on top of the applications is, you know, it's all gone. It's a stress-free, non-test zone. I imagine walking in to an establishment that isn't just a building with classrooms, but, you know, a field full of colour with people with blue hair, pink hair, big trainers, no one in a school uniform because self-expression isn't limited to gender or to age or to how, you know, someone should react. No one is a carbon copy of each other. It's just a beautiful sea of diversity. I imagine having teachers who don't, you don't stand in front of a classroom and teach but you know muck in with students and really get involved in what we're doing and I imagine what we're doing to be really practical and hands-on like Yamna said as well you know I imagine our education to be about growing and making things learning kind of in real time you know I imagine external speakers coming in but not just speaking and lecturing but getting involved with us I imagine it to be shaped by young people and for us to be the ones kind of leading the system along with the educators not it being some hierarchical structure and I imagine this space where parents and the community are really able to get involved and where they're not ostracized I imagine parents being welcomed in often and um, the community being welcomed in often to support young people and I imagine mental health services to be the center of education I imagine that to be fully funded and something that every student has access to and is encouraged to talk to them no matter whether they're flagged up as someone who is you know vulnerable mental health wise or just any other student imagine careers advice to be really really important and for that to be something that is weaned into every part of education Um, and I imagine students to be learning something other than algebra and something that will help them for the rest of their lives (laughs) so um yeah I think that's me Brilliant. Beautiful. Wow. Thank you both so, so much. That was just wonderful. So my first question, as people far closer to the education system of 2021 than many of the people listening to this podcast might be, how would you capture what's wrong with it? What are its failings? What isn't working? How did the system that you've just been going through uh, let you down, would you say? Um, uh, Lottie. That is a hard question, Rob. Wow. (laughs) You know, there's so much I could say to that. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with ethnocentrism and how we're kind of very much learning in, you know, a Western kind of way and also capitalism. Like we're learning to be carbon copies who go to work, you know, have a family, go on that trajectory and then die at the end of it. Like that is kind of the expected for everyone when you want to take an alternative route in education and the response is like what like think how vtex is still something that people are so scared of so i think yeah capitalism is a big part of it but i also think bigotry to be honest i think you know as a queer student myself 
it has been really hard to express myself properly without that kind of like oh no too much too weird you know they're always like be bold be weird be you but there's always a there's a level where that has to stop which I never have understood I think we need to sort out I've just been going off on a ramble there but like (laughs) I hope that makes some sense (laughs) thank you thank you Yumna what would you say to that yeah I would say I would definitely say that there's so many different factors in the education system but I think one of the most important things I feel like to lack in the education system is giving young people the agency to, to have responsibility of what they're learning how they're learning and when they're learning it and I feel like the lack of agency makes us feel disempowered it makes us feel like we have no control over what what we can do in our lives and it puts a lot of pressure on ourselves which affects our mental health in so many ways and another thing is that you mentioned this in your book and it, it really sticks with me. When the education system really prioritises standardisation with the heavy focus on exams and it's like they say they care about young people's mental health and our well-being but at the same time there's so many different things which indicate that they don't. It's like when it comes to exam season and revision season they don't care about your mental well-being as much and it, it, it makes young people feel like they're not being listened to. And we're always being pushed down the narrow academic route where we only perceive ourselves in a certain way due to societal expectations. And that is not tackled in schools. And especially with the fact that a lot of young people now are getting more involved in social justice and trying to make a positive impact in the world. And in our school, school is basically a mini society. So without an understanding of how social inequities work together to create unjust structures, the schooling system and the wider education system is and will continue to be a factory site, if you like, for the production and reproduction of social injustices. And so that actually really needs to be tackled in our schools. Where social justice is not just implemented, as is not just seen as, a, as an add-on in our schools, but it's actually embedded directly within the curriculum, directly within the mindsets of young people that they shouldn't feel frustrated in themselves to create change. Because I said this in the talk as well, I think to change systems externally, we have to change our mindsets internally. We see ourselves usually as powerless people. We can't create change in society. But once we flip the narrative on its head and once we say to ourselves, we can mobilise our mindsets for action. We can turn this frustration that we have into action and we can actually unite together to create change. And I feel like this unification is missing a lot in our schools. So do you feel like there is enough good stuff there at the moment like in the national curriculum and stuff that gives a foundation to build something different on or do we need to completely reconceive and rebuild from scratch is this a repair job or is this a complete rebuild job Yumna what would you say this is a complete radical transformation of the schooling system and the wider education system and I'll tell you why that is over the past few years this agenda of reform has gone on for so long that nothing is actually being reformed. And I've spoken to international educators about this, of what the the current state of the education system is so dire right now, where young people are just not willing to go to schools. Attendance rates are at all-time low. The current pandemic has exacerbated a lot of social inequalities in society and within schooling that reform isn't needed anymore. The government's version of reform was to give young people a little bit more time 
and a little bit more option in what they in the subjects that they're picking when they're in year eight and year nine or whatever. But nothing has actually been changed because they're not including young people in their decision making. When they're talking about consulting young people, it's let's just listen to a few young people through a bit of surveys, but not actually going into schools, seeing what young people need and actually implementing that in the policy. And a lot of international educators that I've spoken to, they've said that they found loopholes within their national curriculum. For example, there's a school in Australia now where they found a loophole in the system where it said that they just need to be offering the national curriculum. Young people don't actually need to be taking the subjects in the national curriculum. And they've allowed young people to co-design their own curriculums. And I feel like that is really, really necessary in, in our school. To answer your question, yes, I feel like the whole system needs to be radically transformed with young people being seen as learners and not just students who are there, like Lottie said, to just be rote learners and come out of this system as just robots, basically. Thank you, Lottie. What do you think? I was just going to say, like, the bells that dismiss us from lesson to lesson at school go way, 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 way back to the era when workhouses were a thing and they were dismissing people from one task to another. So with that information in mind and those policies that currently exist in schools, to have the mindset that we can fix it is just a complete misunderstanding of the situation. Um, other things that spring to mind like that, and um, we have a young person in our network who goes to a school where when a member of SLT enters a room, they all have to stand up. And that to me was completely barbaric. But yeah, see, it happens to Yumna as well. And I spoke to more people in our network and it happens to loads of them. And that, again, is rooted in old, old, old structures where you had to be respectful to your higher up. But those higher ups are often racist, queerphobic, what have you. For that to relate back all the way down there and for us to kind of say, oh no, we can you know tweak it and fix it and reform it. No, we, we totally can't. It needs to scrap. If it's rooted in colonialism, misogyny and any type of bigotry, then it needs to go, in my opinion. And so that that radical change that needs to happen is one of the reasons that pupil power was created as, as a vehicle for bringing about that kind of change. What what will it take? How How is pupil power aiming to do that? And how do we get there? What What, what is needed right now, Lottie? There's a lot we're kind of currently thinking and talking about as a group. A lot of that kind of does stem from legal change. But again, as young people, the system we're in, for us to go and change a law is going to take years and years and years of work. So, you know, that's on the cards totally. But again, as we've been speaking about, the way the system's set up is for us not to be able to do that. And of course we will, but, you know, that takes time, definitely. But I think at the moment, people need to be focusing on more grassroots stuff and stuff we can change now and we can deal with now. So, for example, again, I mentioned it earlier, but school councils, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinions need to be scrapped. They are mainly full of white female students who normally kind of middle class get the head girl positions, that sort of thing. And they don't give feedback that is true to the school system. They give feedback that the schools want to hear because there's a staff member attached to that school council who is shaping everything they do and everything they say. You know, student voice doesn't exist on that localised level. And so I think that is something I'm really, really passionate about. And I get teachers a lot being like, oh no, can we like, you know, make it more representative? No, it, like it needs to go. There are a lot better ways of doing it. I had a head teacher who would run monthly coffee mornings with a random select group of students. Again, definitely not perfect. Focus groups do, you know, shut up the quiet ones and, you know, you only get a few loud personalities. But at least you're hearing from everyone. 
And also, you know, he built those relationships where we felt we could be honest towards him. So I think, yeah, student voice is something that really, really needs to improve at the moment. That's where my first kind of thought is at before we get on to the kind of bigger, more, you know, national and worldwide stuff. Okay. Yumnam? Yeah, I would say the same as Lottie. Um, when it comes to student voice, there's a lot of there's certain programs and certain initiatives meant for young people within schools and outside of schools that run the risk of being individualistic and hierarchical in so, so many different ways. And I'm saying that as, as someone who's who's elected as, as, as a youth MP for my city, but I also understand the different caveats that come with that role. Adati was talking about representation. I definitely think that visible diversity is not part of the solution. It's just an aspect of the wider solution. It's not the be or end all. And I feel like the first port of call is trying to get student agency, student voice basically needs to be scrapped, like I like said, um, and actually try directly embedding that within everything, whether that's co-designing curriculum and students actually creating the philosophy of the school, the policies of the school, every from everything, the hiring of facilitators and guiders of learning, I feel like it's a big thing as well. Decolonizing the curriculum is obviously something that will take so, so many different years. But if we can make some sort of local change now, basically, I feel like we need to work as a bottom up and top down approach. Where we start with grassroots organizations, start with communities like People Power to try and engage more young people to understand the issues in the edu education system. Because a lot of young people that I've spoken to, they understand there's issues in the schooling system, but they don't see how it impacts them later on in life. Only then when they step out and take a look back on the system as general, they say to us themselves, well, we can actually change this, but that's only when we've mobilized their mindsets for action. So it's about really changing the mindsets of young people that you actually have the power to change this. You just don't know it yet, but we're here to help you realize your potential. We're here to help you realize that you can change this. And this also comes from the lack of imagination. We feel like we can't imagine a better future because we haven't been able to see a glimpse of another one. We haven't been able to see a glimpse of another schooling system that, that gives us hope, basically, for the future. A lot of schools, instead of them encouraging students like myself, like Lottie, like so many others, to take an active interest in the world around them, engage in necessary and even uncomfortable situations and conversations with their peers, their family, and develop their social awareness. Schools and even government through their laws and the policies that they enact actually actively prevent students from developing themselves politically as well. And I feel like that is a really, really dangerous thing because when you shut off that one side of a student, your natural instinct is obviously to fight back, to fight back for what you believe in. But that's hard when the system that you're in is designed to not hear your voice or not consider you your voice valued enough to be part of the, the wider conversation. Mm. Yeah, I, two of my kids went to a school where there was a democratic school and the kids had the power to hire and fire teachers and change the school rules and change what they were taught. And, you know, some people listening might think, well, that's just a recipe for anarchy and complete chaos. But what happened was that they, they learned how to do that. They learned how to be part of a democratic system and how to be in meetings and how to make decisions. And it's something that's really hugely affected their lives, I think. So the the focus of this podcast and of your 
brilliant TEDx talk, Yumna, was on imagination and creating the best conditions for it to flourish. Would you both say that your imaginations are as they are because of the education that you've had or in spite of it? And what would it feel like to be in an education system that did everything it could to nurture your imaginations, Yumna? I definitely feel like I said, I think I said this before, but young people's imaginations survive despite the system. So despite everything that's been going on, our imagination is still there. We just need to to be able to be in a space that is safe and inclusive for us to vocalize it, for us to to realize. It. And and particularly when our imaginations are suppressed and pushed to a side, the human spirit um, naturally tends to push back and resist it because we are wired as creative beings. We always want to progress. We always want to evolve. And so I feel that there is definitely need to be a focus on imagination um, within the education system. And that's not, that's just not within the education system now because arts is not seen as an important thing. It's just pushed to a side. We feel like we can't contribute anything because we're not given the space to. So I feel like, I think I said this in the TED talk, but it's the three main things, which is, personally developing yourself, doing the self-evaluation, looking at where you can contribute, uniting with other people. So trying to create a space or try and find a space where you're able to connect with people like people power, being able to be part of a, a national community of students who are just as passionate that I am about transforming the education system. And then service, actually doing the work and contributing in whatever way that you can, small or big. And not being actually afraid to challenge the status quo. And I feel like a lot of young people, and not just young people, a lot of people within the school ecosystem, teachers, parents, the wider community, local citizens, I feel like they need a space to come together because there's one thing talking from young person to young person. There's another thing talking to a young person in an educationalist or someone who's really passionate about transforming the education system or an educator. And there's another thing talking to policymakers. And there's another thing, actually getting everybody within that space to vocalise what they want to say. And like Lottie said, some people within certain focus groups, they will take the control and they will lead on it. Then leave space for the other people not being able to properly contribute. And so there needs to be a framework that young people can actually challenge the status quo and know effective methods of doing so, so they're able to communicate to these policymakers or grassroots organisations. Yeah, totally agree with everything you said. I feel like every time we talk, Yum, now I find myself going, yes, yes. <laughs> Violently nodding my head, which is good. Um, it's one of the as well. I think teachers don't know how to teach imaginative thinking as a kid. I remember so many times sat in like English lessons and we did creative writing and our teachers would be like, yeah, okay, we're going to think of a story now. Go and include these devices, like write a little short story for me. And that would be all the help we got. That's hard for anyone to do at that age. Plus, again, you're making us include certain devices or whatever to tick a box. That's not creative or imaginative. That's what the government wants us. That's what capitalism wants us to do for us to be all carbon copies of each other. And so I wish the school was set up in a way where it was more like, here's how I would craft a story and how I would kind of work with it. You know, what about you guys? Let's build one together. Let's kind of, what characters could you have in this? Let's explore this through drama and through games instead of just a, okay you did a simile good job well done you're now a writer like that's the best metaphor i can think of for how i would want to change imagination in schools lastly 
I'd love you to imagine that, unlikely as it may sound, that Gavin Williamson were to at this moment join us uh, in our meeting. What would what would you say to him? What would be your advice to him? What would be your demand to him, uh, Lottie? There's a lot I would say to him. <laughs> there was a lot I would say to him, Gavin. If you're listening to this, we won't we won't be friends. Um, yeah, there's a lot I would say. Number one would be you know give up your position. That position needs to be filled by someone who has been through state education, who has like essentially taught, had a really good understanding of all the failings of school and all the positives of school. That would be my number one thing. And two, you know, for you to be saying that young people, you know, have, you know, their opinions had in education, I want you to put your money where your mouth is. I, we as People Power sent a letter recently to him talking about, you know, the lack of youth representation, especially in COVID conferences. I don't know if you know, under 18s have never been able to answer in COVID conferences, which was really frustrating as an organisation because everyone in People Power was like, I have tons of questions and you're not answering any of them. And we, you know, we don't have a chance to ask it. Gavin Williamson came back with a list of youth forums, which are made up of a very select small group of young people who are, you know, getting their voices heard, I don't know, three times a year, like it was a small amount. So I want him to put his money where his mouth is and actually, you know, go into schools, talk to young people, have specific young person conferences and yet everything of the sort, I just, I we need to see this happening. You can't claim youth voice and then back away from the conversation. Like I want him to be there and to be in it. Great. But yeah. Thank you. Yumna, what would you say to Gavin Williamson? Yeah, exactly what Lottie said give it to post and um, I don't think it's fit for it because we need somebody who's worked with young people in an education setting who understands the failings of ed- of the wider education the schooling system sorry in the wider education system someone who's able to actually positively create change and understand that to do this young people's voices and ideas shouldn't be taken as tokenistic it's not a tick box exercise the idea should directly be embedded within policy making and so I would say to him that if the vision of the education system that we have is realized if this vision was realized young people would feel safe they would feel confident they will feel empowered to create change in the world and to to be the version that they want to be without this external pressure from schools without this external pressure from different individuals telling young people what to do with their lives and ultimately there will be more contributing citizens in the world Gavin, if you listen to this, please listen to People Power, listen to all the different young people like myself, like Lottie, who believe in the power of transformative education that is stripped of racism, that is stripped of colonialism, that is really takes young people as learners and makes learning vital for young people to grow and evolve into the wonderful people that we are. Thank you both so, so much. Another world is possible indeed. You've both been just amazing. And personally, I would quite happily on the strength of this discussion hand over all decisions about the future of the education system to the two of you, having heard more sense in the last 40 minutes than I have in many years of election manifestos and education strategy plans. Thank you both so, so much for joining me. And I hope you listening at home have found this similarly inspirational and illuminating. So my deepest, deepest thanks uh, to Yumna and Lottie. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having me. It was beautiful. Yeah, we've loved it. 
support pupil power get involved if you're listening to this support them in whatever way you can uh, I'd like to thank you for listening uh, and for making this podcast what it is and to the genius that is Mr Ben Adicott whose deft hand makes this podcast sound as wonderful as it does the aim of this podcast is to help you to create in your imagination a future worth longing for today's conversation has completely done that for me and I hope for you too so we'll see you next time when we'll be back with two guests and an entirely different topic bye bye for now Thank you.